0: Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field, So if you're a passionate educator, who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shambari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Have a Life Teaching, where I hope if you're a teacher, you're getting some great ideas to bring back to your classroom. If you're an administrator, you're also getting some ideas on how to improve your school systemically and or maybe you're a school support person. And hopefully you'll find this podcast to be interesting in terms of what's just going on out there in the world of education. So as all of us probably listening to this podcast know, one area of education that is finally getting the do it deserves is equity and inclusion. However, while I say that, I think there's still a lot of confusion as to what exactly does equity and inclusion mean in a global sense, and how do we as educators ensure that our schools really are centers of equity and inclusion? So with that in mind, I'm really excited to have my next guest joining us. My next guest is Maria Underwood, and she's going to be talking about her work that she does in promoting equitable learning environments in schools across the country. Now, for those of you listening, Maria and I have actually had the opportunity of working together in a consulting organization. So I know that she knows what she's talking about. And I'm so excited to finally get her on the podcast talking about equity, because I know I'm also gonna learn here. So Maria, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you John, thank you so much for having me. I also am very excited to join you.
0: Maria, to start things off, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how equity became your area of focus within education?
1: So, I am a 30-year veteran, 30 plus year veteran in education. I am I had I started out working in special education classes. Um, Shortly thereafter, moved into working in bilingual ESL classes before then leaving the classroom a few years later to actually coach and work with teachers. And so I've been coaching and working with teachers now for 20 plus years. And so all of my work as an educator, as a classroom teacher, as an administrator, has really been with a focus and a lens on students. Who historically have been marginalized? Those students with IEP, students are multilingual learners, are you know EL students, and so equity has really, in essence, been always part of my focus and my lens, both in my instruction as a classroom teacher and then as an administrator. Most recently, I I was the director for um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and have done several, not just. DEI-focused um, sessions with teachers, but also have written several articles around DEI and in particular DEI for leaders and what that really means, more of the leader moves for in DEI. So equity is is close to my heart. The other thing that I will mention, I think that also positions me to really think about equity in everything I do as a coach still in schools is that I am a second language, I like, I like to say forever second language learner born in Cuba. And so my first language is Spanish. And so that perspective of also having been a student, a learner of English as a, as a as a second language in that case, really also, I think, has shaped my perspective and my lens around it.
0: Nice. Nice. And it's nice to hear how, you know, given your own background, and I did not know that you were born in Cuba, so we're going to have to have <laughs> you come back talking about that. But <laughs> you know, having your background as an ENL learner, influencing yeah. what you chose to do in your career within education. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking about this thing called equity, playing not devil's advocate, but just, you know, pretending that I, although I always have more to learn in this regard, let's say I know nothing about equity, although hopefully the folks listening in do know something about equity and inclusion. Yeah. If you were describing what equity and inclusion is, new to education or not in the education field, what exactly is equity and inclusion? And why should teachers, especially teachers coming into the profession now, know what it is and know how to integrate it into their teaching?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And one that, you know, people still are asking. So I'll tell you, John, I'll tell you like, by telling you what equity is and then what it's not. Um. So equity is really about thinking and providing really paths that level the playing field, if you will, as it relates to just social justice and ensuring that everyone has what they need or access to opportunities, right? What it's not, it's not about equality. It's not about treating everyone the same, because that then doesn't acknowledge that everyone's lived experience is indeed very different, right? As I just shared, one of my very true essential lived experiences, which absolutely shapes who I am today and my identity, is the fact that I was not born in the U.S., therefore English was not my first language. And so being a multilingual person myself can't help but shape who I am. In terms of a classroom teacher, when we understand how our who our students really truly are, their individual identity and their lived experiences, it helps us to then make sure that we're providing the right access, um, those access to opportunities that are tailored to their lived experience, as opposed to thinking about all of my students get the same, and therefore it's really you know it's equality and not equity. And inclusion is about really making sure that my students, and if it's from an organizational perspective, that my staff, that my people are really feel like they're belonging, that they belong to the organization, and that they have a voice, that they can bring their authentic self to work or to the classroom. And we want the same thing for our children in classrooms, that we want for our teachers in schools, that we want for our administrators within a broader, larger entity.
0: I love how you mentioned that it's really it's about the school community in its entirety, right? It's yes. not just, although obviously we want to give students what they need, but it's also giving the administrators, the teachers, who are providing that, that instruction with what they need. Exactly. So how their individual voices and experiences exactly. can be heard. Exactly. Particularly, Marie, as you and I both know, especially if these teachers are coming from a similar traditionally marginalized community as yeah. the students they serve. Exactly. That's an asset.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right?
0: Yeah. right? So with that in mind, you've already talked about who you are and how, you know, your background influenced you getting into equity and inclusion mm-hmm. and social justice work. Mm-hmm. We've talked about what it is and what it isn't already. So that leads me to my next question, which is, let's say you get an assignment to work with a school that feels they could do a better job in establishing an equitable community. So what do you do as a consultant when you go into a school cold? How do you actually take a school from point A, whatever that point is, to point B, which is an equitable school? What does it look like at the beginning of the assignment? And what should it look like at the end of the assignment? And how are you and the consultants you work with helping to achieve that in the community. Yeah.
1: So it's, I'm glad that you asked that question, but that you asked the question just after you talked about really viewing things from an asset perspective rather than deficit perspective. And it, because it really starts with assessing the situation, assessing gathering data around where the current environment is. What What is actually, what has that school, what has the organization already done around really developing learning and de- learning and um, and training for teachers and, and their staff around either culturally responsive education or just equity in general. So it really starts with an assessment of the current situation, as it would it within an organization, if a CEO or a chief officer for diversity were looking at you know at that. And then it's developing learning plans around the, the, what's to, to fill those gaps, if you will. So for example, in a school, those learning plans, those those um, professional development sessions could take a couple of different roads, if you will. It could be around curriculum and looking at equity from the curricula that exists in those classrooms, the content and the materials. It could be from a pedagogical perspective, what might be some pedagogical moves that teachers should really make that are more culturally responsive and that could also take us into assessment um, what are some equitable practices for assessment or, or more equitable practices for assessments that we can institute that we would want to do professional development around and then along those lines it's really looking at strategy so in any school and in any classroom we have as you and i both know you set up a coaching cycle plan And you really are chunking the kind of goals and objectives you want from beginning of that partnership to the end. And so what are some of the strategies that we want to develop? All of the work can start, but not all of the work will be achieved, obviously, in a short period of time, especially because a lot of this work is around mindset shift. We're going to really want to make sure that we are engaging the stakeholders classroom teachers, the paraprofessionals, other administrators, everyone involved in looking at this equity. Because we're looking at equity not just from the the experience of what's happening in a classroom, but the entire educational experience. So therefore, we want to make sure that the leadership team is also involved in doing an equity audit, if you will, of some of the policies and procedures they have in place that may be creating some further marginalization. Policies in terms of attendance, even things as schedule. when are we scheduling? if we have a school population where there's a high transitional population, meaning a, a large number of students who may be homeless and are in a shelter. and we know that their arrival to school every day may be later because of the busing situation or how they're getting arriving to school, then why would we set up our our literacy block for first thing in the morning? When the same students who are in greatest need are going to miss that block, so things like just even examining whether we want—you know—we may not be programming our E.N.L. students or our MLL students for computers because they've got so many periods of ESL or pushing ESL or bilingual classes. But those are the students who probably could benefit the most from having those computer programs because they can develop their auditory or listening skills. So it's really looking at all of the entire school environment and not just what happens in the classroom. And then ultimately it's also going back to data and analyzing some of that data. Promotion rates, who's being promoted, expulsion, suspension, all of that, and then making some recommendations at the end for what things might be implemented or shifted. So it's it's really, again, almost thinking, taking the coaching cycle plan and making it a cyclical plan for implementation in the school.
0: I thought your examples were right on in terms of where schools might be looking more systemically at what they're doing. I think most schools, as you know, go into it thinking that they or want to be inequitable. Right. It's just taking that extra moment to really think about your scheduling and thinking about, is this equitable? Thinking about the extracurriculars and figuring out a way to ensure that all students have that opportunity.
1: Exactly. 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 And even, or even John, thinking about how, for example, and again, this is now me bringing my lens or being a second language learner, thinking about how quickly do we make referrals for special education of our ENL students? Have we really looked at our ENL program of service for those students before we say, okay, let's make a referral, so that we're really ensuring there's not a higher percentage of ENL students who now fall into special ed. So it, it's it's really you, you have to look at the whole thing holistically. Otherwise, what you're really doing is what I like to call DEI washing, where if you're only creating a training here on microaggressions or a training here on how there's certain representation that should be in our in our classroom libraries, then you're not really looking holistically at the whole system. And your your level of impact and influence is going to be minimalized by that actually sometimes could backfire because you could have some resentment about having to do all of this work. Because again, it starts with really mindset work.
0: In fact, there's an article that by the time we, we publish this, it will be a while. But this week I yeah. posted, or I'm going to be posting a post uh, from about a USA Today article where it talks about whether or not school districts even know if their equity training and their equity training. yeah, I saw
1: that. I think you posted it earlier today. I saw that. Yeah,
0: I- yeah. So yeah. I thought that article was brilliant, and it yeah. to the point you were just making, like, what is the success criteria? What is the goal? And yeah. how do we think about equity in terms of the different systems within our school? Yes, scheduling, transportation. Yes, academics and then being really clear on what success would look like. So we do have an impact with all these trainings. Exactly. And they just don't end up you know, wasting exactly. time. So Maria, you were also talking about that there are some key areas. I mean, we were talking about scheduling, transportation, we were talking about academics. When it comes to academics, you were talking about particularly looking for equity and inclusion in curriculum. You were also talking about looking for equity and inclusion in your assessments. Yes. And you were also talking about looking at equity and inclusion in terms of the pedagogy or the teaching moves that teachers... You got it. Could you give an example of each of those to help our teachers? Yeah.
1: So in curriculum, it, it, it usually lands and ends, starts and ends with folks looking at, do we have books? That, that show representation of the multiple races, ethnicities that live in our community. But it needs to go beyond that, right? It's not enough to just have a beautiful Black or Latino face on the cover of a book. It, it really needs to go into what is the story that's being told in it. A, first of all, is it being told from an authentic point of view, meaning it's being told by authors who can represent that community, right? who had that lived experience. Again, going back to like the definition for equity. And then do we really foster in our children the ability to really take up social action, to really go through those books and think about the social justice issues or inequities? And then really... To create almost projects where students are really able to take up a call to action around those issues and this can happen as early as kindergarten it doesn't have to be something that's happening in your high school. Or middle schools, it can really happen in the elementary grades as well so it's really looking at your the content the materials themselves yes representation matters. But it needs to go beyond just a really surface generic representation. It needs to really be authentic. And then what's happening in that curriculum as it relates to really fostering critical thinking in students around that, to be able to talk about issues that are related to themselves, to their own community. And it starts with your teachers being able to connect to the children that are in front of them, to the community that they're serving in that school building. So that's really from a curriculum perspective. From an assessment perspective, it's really looking at, and this is something we worked on, you and I, when we were coaching together, really thinking about are we providing multiple, multimodal ways for students to demonstrate mastery of competency, mastery of standards, or are we always leaning into the written word only? Is it always a three-paragraph essay? And why is that the best way when there might be a student who's able to demonstrate mastery in another way, especially when we think about scaffolding and differentiation as it relates to either just our students who have multiple intelligence, right? But also our students with IEPs, our students who are ENL students. Do they have an ability to represent learning, demonstrate mastery in a different way? And that's part of assessment. So thinking about equity in assessment in that way. You were going to say something,
0: John. Yeah, I was just going to say, I recently had a guest on mm-hmm. talking about uh, students with autism. Yeah. And looking at, although there are challenges, obviously, for this population yeah. of students, Yeah. also looking at the assets they bring. Yes. As well as how does one bring in their interests to show that they still understand The concept that you're teaching. So this particular guest and her adult son has autism. He's very into trains. So she was talking about working with his teachers growing up. And if you're reading and you're learning literacy and you're learning about main point and details, why not give him something to read about trains? If, exactly. If that's where, where he's interested in. So I think yeah. that gets to your point about yeah. utilizing different interests. Yes, exactly. Utilizing different talents that we yes. bring yeah. and not just thinking about assessment as that paper and pencil test. Exactly,
1: exactly. And there may be students who that's what they prefer and they do well with that and that's great. But really thinking about, especially in this day and age where our students are social media Beans. They are, they are tech, you know, beings. They and so why not give them an opportunity to demonstrate competency and mastery and knowledge in a different way? If you give students the ability to create a meme or a TikTok—not that we're promoting TikTok using classrooms, but a TikTok video of some sort, a mimic a fall TikTok video they will be really engaged, really interested, and still have an ability to demonstrate whether they understood the content and then express that knowledge. And and writing doesn't always have to be represented in, again, a three paragraph essay. That's where assessment can become a little bit more equitable. And and it's not any different than everything we've always talked about from best pedagogical practices in terms of UDL, universal design by learning, for really just providing different entry points for students. So it's, it's everything we've talked about. And then as it relates to pedagogy, it, it really leans into cooperative learning, really thinking about like grouping opportunities. Again, very much aligned to some of the be- best practices that we know in terms of encouraging academic conversation, listening and speaking skills just thinking about grouping students in a different way and again it can be done the way we've always done it in education which is thinking about where your students are and as you said before really thinking about what do they bring to the table rather than what's missing right and so if they have the ability to communicate better by in in pair group in pairs or triads or in small group then setting up those kinds of stations or inquiries so that they can do that. So it's, so that's really where, you know, some of like where it breaks down in a classroom environment.
0: Exactly. Now, yeah. Maria, one question that I have not mm-hmm. coming from a traditionally marginalized population mm-hmm. Myself, mm-hmm. is what does it mean to be an ally of this work? Mm-hmm. And if you're not from the community, if you're a teacher and you're not from the community of the majority of students you're serving. How can you, how could someone like me or how could somebody like that still be providing value for those students? How could we still be honoring their cultures and, and doing it in a way where we're also acknowledging that we don't have all the answers?
1: Your questions tonight have just literally lined up so nicely. <laughs> As we finished talking about how to have really an understanding of equity and inclusion as it relates to curriculum assessment and then pedagogical moves. And all three areas, as a classroom teacher, as a building leader, really need to be anchored on you doing your education, right? You knowing your students. I can't make any of those modifications in those three areas if I don't know my students, if I don't get more information. So all of this starts with self-education, you know, I can't be an ally if I don't really have some self-education, if I haven't really informed myself first and really shifted my mindset. We've been talking about really looking at things from an asset rather than a deficit perspective. That comes with really shifting and saying, I see what my students bring, never mind where I need to now do my work, but I see what they bring to the table and that's what we're going to work from." And then it's about really listening to, you know, listening actively as an ally, right? Recognizing where I do have privilege and each of us has privilege, just like each of us has biases. There is not a human that I know who can tell me they do not have a bias of some sort. Just like each of us have biases, each of us has a certain privilege. Our privileges may differ, but we have a privilege. And and privilege is not about feeling guilty for that privilege. It's not anything we've done as, as individuals. It's a privilege that basically systemic has really acknowledged. You walk in and have a presence that somebody else may not. I now have the privilege of being bilingual. And so that's a privilege in itself that somebody else may not have, right? And so it's really recognizing the privilege so that I can then advocate from that perspective. And the biggest, I guess the hardest, the tallest hurdle is being able to challenge racism, even when it is uncomfortable for us as an island. It's it's really stopping and questioning someone when they say something that makes you say, hmm, why do you believe that? Or that wasn't really a funny joke. Or that could have hurt somebody else or insulted somebody else. And again, it's not comfortable to take that position, but it's really necessary if we say we're really going to be an ally in this work. And then it's being able to amplify the marginalized voices. So being able to say, I'm going to recognize the work that somebody else has done that isn't normally recognized. You know, we were talking earlier about doctorate and getting your doctorate. And um, and so one of the things we know in academia is that the same researchers, right, in the same studies keep getting promoted and cited. And many times it's research that is marginalized by not so well-known researchers, still really quality that doesn't get put in. And so one of the things that I'm doing in my work trying to get my doctorate is to really elevate those, those researchers who historically have not been included. And it's the same thing in terms of work within. So as a colleague, if I, if I could elevate and a colleague of mine in a school that has normally not been listened to, maybe marginalized, comes from a marginalized community, that's an opportunity to elevate them. Um, and then it's constant engagement and self-reflection. You said it before, John, we're constantly learning. And if we pretend that I've I've arrived, at the end of my DEI journey we're only fooling ourselves right we are constantly learning we may be boarding the subway at a different in a different car but we're all boarding in the same station heading in the same direction and some of us you know may arrive sooner because we happen to be in the front car with the conductor or, you know, and some of us may be in the back of the of the train. But so I think it's that self-reflection. It starts with learning and self-education, and it has to always fall back on really self-reflecting. I have a, a daughter, as you know, that has autism who's on the spectrum, nonverbal, so more on the severe end. And a few years ago, I think now about three or four years ago, I took several bias tests just to kind of say, let me go through them and see what biases are identified. And of course, as a mother of a child with special needs, never expected that the bias test, which anyone can take, you can go on to, you can do a Google search and kind of start there to really get, get your mindset. And like, um, they all come out of Harvard and, you know, you can take any one of them. They don't take that long. And I took one for ableist, able-bodied people, and it showed that I had a a bias, a propensity towards able-bodied people. Now I'm a mother of a child on the spectrum. That certainly was startling for me, but it forced me to really think and say, how many times have I made decisions leaning into what I expect is a normal body? And for those who can't see me, I'm using air quotes, right? When I say normal body. Yeah. So I think it starts with that. You always have to constantly be you know, self-reflective, self-education, and not be embarrassed to really learn. Because again, all of us are biased. All of us come from our own lived experiences. But you can't be an ally if 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 that mindset isn't shifted. And it starts with your own self-exploration.
0: Yeah, exactly. And what I what really resonated with me with what you were saying there, Marie, was also being an ally for your kids, but also being an ally with your with your colleagues, right? Yeah. Because it really is a school community mm-hmm. that we're working in. Yeah. And we truly want that equitable school. Yes. I was saying before taking a school from point A to point B, it's really about. I mean, although it's very important about making sure that the learning environments are yeah. equitable for our students, yeah. but it really is also ensuring. Yeah. To the point before that, voices that are traditionally not heard in decision making. Yeah. There is an opportunity for those voices to be heard.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that and you know and even there. It's an opportunity I know for me as a consultant when I'm in schools, but also as an ally in schools to really examine even what happens in meetings, who gets to speak, whose voices acknowledged, whose, whose opinions are acknowledged, and almost do a, a, a quick audit, a sampling of what's happening in a meeting. It could be a PLC meeting. It could be in a leadership team meeting. And share that information back with the person facilitating those team meetings to say, I noticed in this meeting you called on, they may not even be, you know, they may never have noticed or have been reflective about that. And the same thing happens in classrooms. You know, who is a teacher constantly calling on? or a teacher to have a quick assessment by a consultant or even a colleague to say, do you mind sitting in my classroom? And just take note numeric of like how many times I call on am I calling mostly on boys am I calling mostly on students sitting only in the front am I calling specifically who am I or who am I calling out when I'm expecting maybe misbehavior and my why and unpacking some of that
0: you already were almost providing a checklist of some things that you could be looking at yes. to see how equitable yes. your your school climate Yes, yeah, exactly Are there any equity checklists or equity audits that you use in your work, Maria?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely something about the participation and teacher interaction with students. There's also what I like to call sort of an equity walk or an equity interview of students. So really just shadowing a student to see what their experiences are in a certain, in a day or, or over the course of several periods, just to see what they're, you know, what they're experiencing. So there are, very, there are similar tools like that, that really are very helpful for schools to have a self-reflection point for teachers to really see that. Again, I think you mentioned it before, nobody intends to create inequitable situations. None of us do. And so it really is incumbent upon us to really want to learn and be open and vulnerable to really get that information. There's also some equity surveys, if you will, where students are really asked, and it's not a lot of questions, and they usually are like assigned through a Google Classroom where students are asked questions to the extent of, how often does your teacher talk about race or racism or injustices in the class? How comfortable are you speaking in the class? Do you feel that your teacher really knows you? And so these are all questions that students themselves, and obviously it's middle school and up, mm-hmm. to get to answer about their teachers. And then that data can be gathered. It, you know, it, it's, it's, I know how the, which students responded about what teacher, but the data then is collated so that the teacher doesn't necessarily know which student in their class responded in a certain way. And therefore, the students are assured of that and assured of that. And therefore, they could feel comfortable answering.
0: Is there anything we didn't talk about that you think our listeners really need to know about diversity, equity, and inclusion work?
1: One of the things I would stress is that while it sounds like a lot of work, it is incredibly beneficial to creating the right climate. And a lot of what I've mentioned and talked about, as I keep saying, are already practices that schools that are really instituting really good pedagogical curricula practices would be doing anyway it's really the lens in which we're really looking at it. So I would wanna encourage every classroom teacher, every school building leader to really have a look, even if it's just a starting point of really surveying, where are we with this kind of work? Uh, are we really a community, a school community that really is equitable and inclusive to for all of our students in the community? And I wanna be hopeful that we all are in agreement that the future or tomorrow is really one in which we want all of our leaders, i.e. our students today, to really be equity-minded leaders who understand the benefits of diversity, but also understand the history and also understand how to create that kind of environment for, in whatever leadership role they may be
0: in. So, Maria, where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you do?
1: I'll give an email, which is the easiest way. A lot of the consulting work I do is through my own company, M-Ideas Consulting Services. And I can always be reached at Maria at m Consulting.com.
0: John, you, thank you. Yeah, Maria, this has been great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was such a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well.